Welcome back to New Realities. Again, I'm being joined by my co-host for this show, Jojo. I will get it right sometime. Michael Lasik. Michael Lasik, thank you. Who's one of the co-founders of Ascension Together, which is a key um, focus on transformation. And she has brought me together after I introduced her to Peter Moon, but I, this is a uh, a very exciting occasion because Peter Moon, I'm sure everyone watching knows him, but he's been at the forefront of research, technological information. He's brought the world the Montauk project. He's investigating time travel, a new take on Roswell. Anyway, so much to talk about, Peter. Thank you for being here today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you both. Well, I'm really excited about um, some of your latest research, which is about the Transylvania mysteries, would you say that? And then we'll go into Montauk and Roswell. Or what's your late? Oh, well, what is the latest? We should, start, we should start with Montauk because that's what I'm most well known for. And I think the Montauk Project, of course, for those who are new to this interview, was a uh, is a book. The Montauk Project's Experiments in Time, uh, co-authored with myself and Preston Nichols, uh, and that book was an effort by Preston Nichols to explain him his weird experiences that he had living on two timelines right uh, i just want to say uh, peter's so prolific the montauk revisited book the montauk project book the montauk book of the debt i mean yeah so okay okay continue but well, i just I, I love your 20 books uh 20 books that i've co-authored or edited and published so uh Skybook so how Jordan. did you meet Preston Nichols? Because he's the one who really got the whole Montauk thing going. Of course, um, that, that, that it is his story. The, uh, skybooksusa.com, you can see all my books there. But uh, Preston Nichols, I met because he was an inventor, not because I had heard about his story. He was a prolific inventor of uh, electromagnetic uh, implements and stuff. So I was... Uh, some friends of mine directed me to him because I was in the advertising and design business at that time. And I was looking at doing brochure work for this machine, but it turned out these friends of mine told me that Preston had invented a better machine. It turned out he actually kind of created that other machine too. And he needed help with marketing. But so, you weren't into any of this, uh, I would say, not weird stuff, but out there stuff before Preston, where you well, had a curiosity? I, I do have a, a whole history in uh, Scientology that was like seven years earlier than that. I was not involved in Scientology at that point, nor am I now. But right. I had a whole background with L. Ron Hubbard and understanding a lot of, uh, I guess what you'd say, paranormal phenomena and stuff that goes on with the mind and people's you know mind control and, and that sort of thing so pre that that oh uh, i i also want to add that you know a lot of the early uh, remote viewers at the stanford research institute were also into scientology ingo swan how put off these were also some of those correct. that's that's correct and the background there uh learning about mind control and implantation and the psychic phenomena attached to that was like a prerequisite sort of for me to meet Preston Nichols, who was steeped in it. He was steeped in this stuff far further than, uh, for example, L. Ron Hubbard said there were implant stations, but none on this planet. And everything that L. Ron, uh, everything that Preston Nichols talked about contradicted that. It was a, it was like, wow, it was not only an implant station, it was an implant station that involved time travel. So uh, I, I, even though that was not what brought me to Preston Nichols in the mundane sense. It was sort of a synchronistic or psychic direction that brought me to Preston Nichols looking for to find myself my own career. What was my life's vocation? Was the Montauk Project and all that has come forth from it? Uh, because I, I wasn't designed to be just in the field of, of design and advertising, which was coupled with my wife at the time, who was a very good, she designed the original books and she was a very gifted award-winning designer so we we sort of were a team and but so i found my vocation with montauk uh and and writing and whatnot which is what i wanted to do in the first place but to get back onto the question preston nichols had experience on multiple timelines in his life he couldn't figure out his life and 
the Montauk Project research that he did was an effort to understand himself. And he would be the first to tell you, he's passed away now, but he would be the first to tell you that he had a very, very bizarre and inexplicable life. And there was, so, so that, go ahead, you were going to ask me something. No, no, I just want to, no, I keep going, but, and then how does it tie into Al Billick and Duncan Cameron and all that well, kind of okay, Montauk well, boy? Well, how I met Preston is very interesting. It was, I remember it was um, November 7th of 1990 was the day that I was to go to a lecture at the Long Island uh, chapter of the U.S. Psychotronics Association. What, was that Howard Metz? Yes, Howard Metz. I I loved Howard Metz. I went to that store and uh, yeah, okay. So you went there, yeah. yeah. Uh, Howard Metz was was the, the vice president of psychotronics, and he was uh, had his own institute of pyramidology. He was very knowledgeable about the Great Pyramid and about the Federal Reserve. He was a very uh, intelligent man, uh, very unique and uh, bizarre in his own right. But uh, yes, and Preston Nichols, and of course, uh, I had seen. Uh, I guess the week before I met Preston Nichols, it was Halloween. Uh, I saw, I woke up and I saw, I guess you call it a UFO going up. I looked out my window, which was to the uh, north. And I looked out my bedroom window and I saw this UFO go up. It was about 6.30 in the morning. Was this I, Long Island? Yes, it would have been somewhere over Long Island Sound probably. Uh, yeah. And then I, I said, was that or wasn't it? saw another one go up. Now, it, you know, it could have been a, what, I don't know well as the hell it was because it's just a blip going up. This does not happen. So I saw two of these. A week later, I meet Preston Nichols. And of course, I went there to talk to him. I didn't know I was going to be subjected to a lecture. Uh, or So anyway, he said that uh, I met him. Uh, Preston, I could see was somebody who was not in his body. I could see this. He was, uh, and he looked at me and smiled and I gave him my card and he says, you can talk to me, but you're going to have to wait till the break because I'm on a panel today and we're going to be talking about earth changes. So there was a panel and on the panel was Duncan Cameron, uh, Bernice Louie, who was an expert from Cold Spring Harbor Lab. She was retired, an Asian lady, uh, Howard Metz, Duncan Cameron, who was a very pivotal character in the Montauk Project and a man named Ken Akeley. Uh, who was an expert in the ARE, Edgar Cayce's uh, stuff. So uh, Al Bielik was sitting next to me in the audience and I was next to Al Bielik. And then as the lecture about earth changes uh, was, they were talking all about the Philadelphia experiment and then it evolved into the Montauk stuff, Montauk Project this, and they kept talking about Montauk. I'd never uh, heard of Montauk Project before. Of course, I'd heard of Montauk and had never been there. And then Al was in the audience and he started chiming in and talking about all these Nazis at Montauk. And, and the story was very rich. It was a very rich, uh, I was interested in science fiction as a young person and still had an interest in it. But I said, this is, this is a great story. I said, is there a book on this? And they said, no, no, there's no book. And then uh, he says, if you wanna come down to the lab, anybody call the secretary and she'll arrange for you to go to the lab. So uh, I well, can you just back up one second for people who don't know what the Montauk project was and are you going to get to that and its relationship to the Philadelphia project? No, and I, the, I will, I will okay. explain that the Montauk right. project was based all upon the early research of the Philadelphia experiment of 1943, which was an effort by the Navy to make a ship, the USS Eldridge, appear invisible to radar. And there are multi-levels to the project, as Preston said, a lot of stuff was going on that we still don't know about, but they basically, when they made the ship appear invisible to radar, it went out of this dimension in time and space, it was displaced. And the sailors aboard, uh, with the exception of Duncan Cameron and Edward Cameron, who were uh, shielded, uh, they, the people were discombobulated mentally. Uh, they lost what are called their time references, and they were mentally, some of them exploded spontaneously combusting. And there are various, of course, this has been very hidden, but there are also uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence to back up that it did indeed happen, which is a whole nother talk in itself. But the point right. is, they did the research of the Philadelphia experiment uh, in, uh, it was what is now Brookhaven Labs. They took many of the sailors to Camp Upton, 
which is now Brookhaven Labs. It was a World War I convalescent hospital in Yapank, Long Island. And uh, they began to study what made the mind of man go nuts when it went out of this dimension or out of time. And all of that research, which initially took place at Brookhaven Labs, uh, led forward to develop what was called the Montauk Project because they were uh, integrating the mind of man with radio waves, radio frequency, in which Preston Nichols was expert. And But the key to the Montauk from Philadelphia was that the ship, uh, the Eldridge appeared, this is what they say, 40 years later in Montauk, right? Is that the connection? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it appeared in, in Norfolk, Virginia. It appeared, some people said, in off Bermuda. Uh, some people said it appeared at off the coast of Montauk. Now, that part of the story gets very weird and unwieldy. But, but if you would have Al Bielek, Duncan Cameron, and Preston Nichols, all of whom are passed away, when you yeah. would get them in, in the same room talking about this, it was like a thought form was created that made it real. And it was it was very uh, engaging and it was it was good story. It was some there was a lot of thickness to it. Uh, it was hard to comprehend, and I did my best uh, to put it integrated as possible to make it understandable. Uh, however, as and so this is it's a very interesting topic. It's very thick, but one of the biggest problems it's uh, impeded with mind control phenomena of all the people involved in this were compromised mentally, just as they were studying the sailors who were compromised, you have to wonder how compromised the people who were orchestrating the project, because they used the, the information from Joseph Mengele's uh, torture experiments that he did on people, uh, incl which included dwarves from Transylvania, by the way, that that's uh, included dwarves, dwarves. Yeah, dwarves from, dwarves like, from Transylvania, yes, dwarves. What does the dwarf part have to do with the... Uh, they were uh, part of a singing troupe, and I think they were connected to the, the Wizard of Oz uh, uh. dwarves. But you can look up dwarf, Mengele dwarves in Transylvania, and you'll see all this. They, they were uh, they were taken, and they were... I don't know where they were, how they got them, but they Mengele experimented on these dwarves. He played music for them. There was a really weird relationship between Mengele and the dwarves but that's a that's very much a side story yeah but uh, that but they used the research of Mengele uh because Mengele was a very meticulous researcher he was a hor horrible uh humanitarian and horrible human being but he was good with his science doing uh horrible experiments on people so they were they had all the captured German documents to research they had Nazi uh paperclip scientists and stuff like this that they uh worked with so it was a joint effort between Germans and Americans. It always had been, actually. But to, to so, go ahead. But no, with Montauk, the Montauk, what was Preston's like, what was the timeline uh, split? Talk about Mo um, why it's so important, actually, Montauk and the Montauk well, experiment. Uh, it, it, why it's so important, it, it gets very uh, long. But Preston was trying to figure out his own life because mm -hmm. he was waking up and, and why am I so tired? Why am I so tired? His parents, uh, he lived at home with his parents uh, most of his life. And he said, why am I so tired? You know, they verified or his father did that. Yeah, he would wake up so tired. And then one day he was having a dinner with his cousin, his cousin, uh, Julie, and her husband were having over at their house for, or I don't know whose house they were at. And Julie's husband, uh, began to recognize Preston. He says, I know you. Yeah, we worked together at Montauk. And Preston says, no, I never worked at Montauk. And they almost got in a fight over it because he said, no. Now, uh, at Preston's funeral, uh, his mother's funeral, I met Julie and she verified everything. You know, she's not uh, into this stuff, but she verified it for me. I still know her to this day, but she she verified the story of her cousin. He says, yeah. And her, her the husband was reportedly abusive uh, and she got rid of that husband. She's happily married now. But she verified this story that, yeah. And so Preston saw, I'm on two timelines. And then he tells this incredible story of going to work at Airborne Instruments Laboratory, known as AIL, which was not in the first book because we couldn't mention AIL at the time. 
because he still had a relationship there, even though he was unemployed, he didn't want to anger them. But now that he's passed away, I put it in the new book. I did a silver anniversary edition, which has a lot more stuff in it than the original what, book. Which what's the name read. of the book? Uh, the Montauk Experiment? Is the that Montauk the Project Experiments in Time, the silver anniversary edition. The silver oh. anniversary edition, which I have the exact book. Yeah, that's the that's the original book. There's also the silver anniversary edition, which has uh -oh. all sorts of uh, notes in me in italics saying this is what the company was really AIL. It wasn't. BJM, which we called it, it was AIL, which was a huge defense contractor. And uh, there's a lot of weird stories around AIL that I, I mention in the book that were not but, in the original book. But was it, was it it's so important because it's when the government first started to get into time travel technology and the shifting of timelines and the kind of um, confusion we're in and that's in the world today as a result of some of that well also the facilitation of people without their consent well yeah that's been going on <laughs> it's been going on since it, it, i mean we know it from the the dark ages of course around time travel mm. yeah, well yes it, yeah there, there's uh what you say a censorship and power issue but we, we will fast forward to some of the more important uh relevancies because see people know me primarily for the montauk project and inevitably whenever i get up and talk to an audience i have to start from square one because many people or some people have not heard of it but i have to say without you there would be no awareness of the montauk experiment there'd be no there would awareness. Be some awareness of it but it would be very thin because but of i course, just want to acknowledge you for bringing it out with your books and your, your important research. Thank I, you. I, I, yeah, I, I was able to, as I say, I was in marketing and advertising, so I was able to put it together coherently and and, and put a very nice book out, uh, certainly one that was trafficable and marketable. And, and this was a skill that I had. And I also have a lot of skill in being able to uh, put things as clearly as possible. I'm dealing with very tough subjects. It also gets into occultism and whatnot, which I have a, an aptitude for as well which I learned by reason of my experience in Scientology. Not that Scientology was into the occult, but I, I learned how to how to edit and write and, and deal with weird concepts that right. people don't understand. So that there is a whole background in occultism as well that I accumulated. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of these factors is, and then when you get to time travel, it's kind of like the, the mother of all mysteries. But if we, the so what's important for people to know, the Montauk Project, which is its own, uh, there's got to be 100,000 copies of that book out there somewhere, which is a lot, but it's not a lot. Uh, so compared to millions of books of something. So anyway, and it will get bigger in the future. But the thing is, I've done so much research and work since then that many of my initial audience or people who've heard of it, they don't have time to read 20 books or they don't know about the 20 books. So as we fast forward, so much has developed since then that some people who met me 25 years ago and they say, oh yeah, they had no idea what I've done since then, which is well, all progress. But before, but before we fast forward, can you just bring in for me, because I, I knew Duncan Cameron pretty well. I went to visit him out. And then um, um, Al Bielek, how do they all fit into the Preston Nichols story? I mean, that's that a very be... good question. It's a very yeah. good question because of course, um, Duncan, uh, was not initially, well, he helped the uh, Preston understand uh, what was going on, but he came uh, to Preston's uh, lab in 1984. He wanted a piece of stereo equipment fixed, and he had been sent there by a guy named Jeff Smith. And he goes to Preston's uh, lab, knocks on the door, and Preston says, oh, he starts telling him what he's been researching up about stuff and psychic stuff and and duncan is a perfect uh psychic because preston was experimenting with psychics and radio waves so duncan was the perfect fit in his life uh he was the perfect fit and so they started working together he took him out to montauk because preston had found out that all of his psychics were researching with would have a block at three o'clock three three p.m so he started Using radio direction finding. But they'd find have out. a psychic block. You're saying they at three p.m. The psychics they... would have a block at three p.m. 
psychic block where they weren't able to tune they in. Couldn't, they couldn't they couldn't do their stuff anymore. So okay. he uh, you know, because he's always working with signals and he had a van with with radio antennas, he, he used a radio direction finder to find out where this signal was coming from that was blocking their ability to be psychic. And he traced it all the way down uh, hundreds of miles away or so to Montauk, this huge radar dish with a gain horn, which is a, like a transmitter and a big antenna on it. Uh, and it's still there in Montauk. It is still there. It is still there. It's falling apart slowly. But and on the day that falls down, it will probably be a great day for humanity because but in any case, uh, because of all the residue and whatnot. But in any way, so this is how Preston met Duncan and they began to work together and collaborate. And then uh, they would also go to the U.S. Psychotronics Association annual meeting in Ohio. It was in Dayton, Ohio at that time. And so they would go there and Al Bielek used to go there because Al Bielek uh, had his own, uh, uh, he was an investigator of strange stuff for a long time. He even well, you know, it's just interesting that it was in Dayton, Ohio, because that's where the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is, or, you know, Patterson. That's, that's would, a very good point. I never even thought about that. That's a very good point. Well, you, you know, uh, Patterson, the whole Patterson family were involved in this secret technology, working for the government. National Cast Register was out of there. And so there was this innovative technology coming out of Dayton. And Wright Field became Wright Patterson Field. So I don't know. There's some connection, right? Well, that's that's I never even knew about the Patterson family. So you you have brought something to the forefront there. And I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but Al Bielek. So anyway, Al Bielek, um had, they knew who Al Bielek was because they used to go to these annual Bieling, meetings and they didn't really have any particular uh, association with him other than the fact that they 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 knew him not very well. So one day Al Bielek watched the movie The Philadelphia Experiment, which uh, was came out primarily in video. There's a whole story behind that movie. But Wait, did that come out because of your book or no? No, 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 no. That was way before the book. Oh, okay. 1984. I was when it was released. It was okay. uh, the the movie was a, a, initially was restricted. It showed, I think, according to witnesses. I I don't know anything of this officially, but I know somebody who saw it in Philadelphia. It was released in Philadelphia, and they showed a reel, uh, like the, a news reel of the actual Philadelphia experiment with the ship disappearing. There was a film of this. Wow. Uh, I've talked to people who've seen it or know about it, but it's very obscure. Anyway, uh, then they shut it down. They didn't release the movie. And then it came out very mysteriously through a company in England that produced some movies on time travel in, in the v, VHR format or VHS format, rather, video right. uh, tape. And, and this was uh, Thorny M.I., Thorny M.I. And that's that's a whole separate story that is I write about in the second book, Montauk Revisited. Uh, so... Anyway, uh, when Al Bielek saw that movie, it triggered all of his memories of the Montauk, of the Philadelphia experiment and going on the ship. He was really Edward Cameron. And then he was put into the, uh, the Bielek family. Uh, it was a story that was strange, but and something that Preston could never fully buy into intellectually, but it was part of the lore and Al Bielek knew it very viscerally. So when, when he saw that movie and triggered all his memories, he realized that Duncan Cameron was his brother from this. And, and this when he called, this is very important. When he called them up to tell him, he says, I realized that Duncan Cameron's my brother. And, and Preston Nichols said to him with Duncan right there says, yes, we already figured this out, but we didn't tell you. We knew this. So we, we it is, it's his reincarnated brother because Duncan... it's a really it's a really strange story and it, i don't know that it's important to digress into it but okay it's okay very, we don't have to but yeah, yeah it's a very weird yeah. story I know. Yeah, I know yeah yeah so uh there are very weird elements to this story and i don't know that they're 100 percent accurate but what is important is in in the silver anniversary edition of the book i all these things are corroborated uh, mm -hmm. except for the actual time travel uh with the initial investigation that Preston and I did, we corroborated all the ancillary circumstances, but mm. not the time travel. Now the time travel would then be corroborated from an outside source, 
Uh, One more question I just want to ask you about Duncan. Sorry to interrupt. Is that the Montauk chair? Yes. That uh, uh, I, you know, that was a, and like supposedly. Well, you can talk about it. the whole mind control Montauk chair creating the Montauk monster. I mean, it's so the Montauk deep. chair was a uh, basically a name for what was a lounge chair where they would connect Duncan, other psychics too, but mostly Duncan was the most reliable one, most used one anyway. And they would connect him uh, to with a, a series of, you know, receivers that would pick up his thoughts and read his thoughts and enable him to transmit out this huge uh, radar transmitter at Montauk that would influence the minds and emotions of people, minds and their emotions. It would uh, affect animals. And this is documented, but we can even show some of that. Uh, yeah. We intend to in an upcoming documentary if it ever gets done. The, the documentaries that have done by outside sources never show it. They're, we give it to them, but they don't show it. They, uh -huh. they tone down everything. I'd so, love to see. I'd love for you to share that if you care to at some point. Yeah, cer certainly, Alan. We we could do a lot of stuff together. We never okay. really have, but we could. <laughs> so, but anyway, this is the beginning. Like, thanks yeah, to Jojo of our. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. She's she's my media person now. She's my, she is. my social media person. So, uh, so so anyway, uh, oh, where was I? I? Was talking about oh, so well, we can talk. I know where I'm at. I'm not, that was, so when okay. they began to do all this manipulation of people's emotions, minds, and influence people's minds, then uh, one day they figured out it happened by mistake that if Duncan could project an illusion that would be real of a can of beer, say, it would then appear, but it would appear at the wrong time. Uh, this often happens in ordinary psychic phenomena. If you make a decision that you say, uh, I'm going to the dance tonight and I want to meet a beautiful woman. And you, you, you know, you put all of this energy into it and you go to the dance and there's hardly any women there and they aren't beautiful. So then you're walking down, you go to work the next morning and this beautiful woman comes in and it's like, oh, oh, and you don't connect it because you, you, you ignore her because you thought you were going to meet one at the dance. It's like things sometimes in the psychic sense appear out of your you know, it doesn't appear perfect. And people uh, get too caught up on the how. Right. They want exactly. it. They want to see it a certain way and control the elements around it. And that's yeah, they, not they, how they want works. it when they want it. Uh, not, you know, I, I want roast beef tonight and it comes to you in a sandwich the next day. So there's a time lag on, in this plane of existence, this 3D world that, you know, you want a new house, but you might not get it now, you might get it in five years or something. And usually it will come in an even better and more fruitful way than what our human mind or the ego would have constructed. That's actually well, that, the that's, work of Joe Dispenza recently. But yes, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Peter. That, that's yeah. a very good point. So then uh, when they began to understand that there was time involved, they began to harness time and manipulate time. Now, there's a big problem with time. And this is where the Philadelphia experiment gets involved, because in order to uh, have time uh, and to to the actual hard science of time uh, requires a because time travel is proven to exist theoretically. And but in order to make it work, you need a huge amount of power. And this was a problem. So basically, the Philadelphia experiment uh, when it moved in time, it generated a lot of power. And when they were able to connect Philadelphia with Montauk, the, they had the power they needed. And I just want to say it, it, it needs a lot of power because according to the Einsteinian theory of time space, in order to bend time space, exactly you need a, a lot of force. Yeah. yeah. So they were, without going into the, the circumstances of that, they, they had to connect the two projects. And this was a, uh, it occurred during what is called the August biorhythm of August uh, 10th to the 14th. It occurs every year. And this was 1943 when the Philadelphia experiment took place. It climaxed at Montauk on August 12th of 1983, 40 years later. 
That is also called the Lion's Gate in the ancient Egyptian, that, that time period from like the, the the 8th to the 14th of August. It's it's the Lion's Gate in some... I, I didn't realize that. Thank you. You've, you've given me yeah. some, some nice things today, Alan. Thank okay. you. Really, it's, it's good because I... Uh, really? Because as we go forward with this Lion's Gate, as you call yeah. it, quite, uh, that's well, consistent with my other research. I just didn't know that name. So yeah. if uh, uh, every year there is a uh, phenomena that will occur around that. So maybe with without going... What, what's the phenomena that actually occurs at that moment? What is the well, manifestation? Okay. I, I think it's good to digress. A little uh, bit. From, yeah, from, sure. Well, not, it's not really a digression. I want to undigress. I, I don't want to go I, into how this, mean, beast, this beast destroyed the whole project. I know, I know, but you know so much, Peter. I mean, we well, could talk for days. But... This is what's important. Okay, yeah. so before we get to the and keep me on that lion's gate because it's very yeah, important. Yeah, I will. Okay. So, uh, as I began to investigate uh, the Montauk project with Preston, there was a very, I guess, what you call journalistic investigation, which was chronicled in my newsletter, the Montauk Pulse which is, I should send you that every every season that it comes out. I'd love that. It's I fantastic. should. I should. Uh, and Jojo, you have to remind me to do that uh, with him. Yep. Uh, so anyway, uh, that, I've kept that in print since 1993. It's available at the skybooksusa.com website. Uh, but anyway, uh, as I began to investigate the Montauk Project uh, journalistically, which we covered in the newsletter, I also had separate experiences in synchronicity, which was, which involved occultism. And all of these synchronicities, and they're fascinating. They led me to the door of Marjorie Cameron, the wife of Jack Parsons, uh, who was involved, that th the three of them were involved with L. Ron Hubbard in an experiment that called the Babylon working. Uh, and so I had all this occultism and I'm not gonna digress into that. That's in my book, Montauk Revisited. But as we come, full circle with this synchronistic investigation, I discovered that there were ancient pyramids at Montauk and that the, the royal family of Long Island was of the Native Americans were the pharaohs. And the pharaohs who were the guardians of the pyramids, they represented, the pharaoh is the interlocutor between heaven or the celestial room realm and the earth. And where, where are the pyramids on Long Island? Because I grew up on Long Island and it's very oh, they flat. Were, no, they were ancient pyramids. They don't they exist there. Uh, they, they, they either then my book pyramids of montauk they were uh probably they were either either near sag harbor or mm -hmm. off the coast of montauk which was like 100 yards out at that time it's the the uh the, the tides have come in the the water line has come in to the where the lighthouse is now but okay. the pyramids were probably destroyed by the 1938 hurricane that occurred it was it devastated the, the east end of long island there might have been one set it depends uh, what, were they Atlantean uh, originally? No, they, they, were, they were more like mounds, but they were pyramidal in shape. And mm. I met a, a Montauk Indian, Gail Evening Star, Olive Boyd, who, uh, Gail Olive Boyd, or no, it was Gail Boyd. And she said mm. that uh, she remembered her grandfather talking about the pyramids and that they used to have an underground area where they would do ceremony in there. And all of her relatives thought she was nuts right. until she, she heard me talk about it at a gathering of Montauk, she says, thank you for validating my memories of what my grandfather told me. So it was, uh, I developed some very deep connections with the Montauk Indians who were declared extinct in 1909 or 1910. And that's a whole other story that, uh, but they're very important people in my life. But in right. any case, they were the guardians or the custodians of, of that area, which is a very intense, point on the ley lines of the planet it's hard to explain but mm -hmm. it sort of fits in like if you had an icosahedron it sort of resonates with where cairo is mm -hmm. uh, and the way these things jitterbug or gyrate as buckminster fuller would say the the grid of the mm -hmm. geometry uh, and the pharaohs of montauk peter are said to have a lineage to egypt is that correct that's correct, that's correct. according to the shaman she remembers seeing books when she was young uh, connecting them to the pharaohs of Egypt. And that's, it's in my book, Montauk Book of the Living goes deeply into that. But so anyway, we're the, in e ancient Egypt, the lion's gate was, uh, August 12th was the birthday of Isis, which is of course highly symbolic, 
But the, the, the reason is it was a time of fertility when the, the Nile would flood and the fertility of the, of the Nile would give them the crops to eat. So this was a sacred time. It's a time of high heat. So it's Wasn't it also the time where uh, the star Sirius would reappear right. on the Sirius horizon? Is, is closest to the earth at that time. Right. And of course, in Montauk lore, the Sirius, it was Sirius technology that facilitated the Montauk chair. Oh. But, uh, but so this Lion's Gate would, uh, during the August 10 to 12 would happen and, and there, the, every year it would happen, but every 10 years, like say 63, 73, 83, 93, were very strong, but the, every 20 years was even stronger. So Wasn't it also 43 for Philadelphia experiment? Was that 43? Yeah, 43, 63, 83, 2003, 2023. Oh. These are oh. the strong dates. Now, it, so, but I want to say what happened. So we, we in 1999, in 1999, August 11th, uh, we had our Montauk nights we used to have in Belmore, Long Island every month. And it was August 11th. And there was this uh, eclipse. It was a eclipse with a grand cross in the sky. And this was a big date. All the astrologers were looking at it. Uh, and I, so I was uh, sitting there. I went, went to the event which i co-hosted with preston although preston did all of the talking practically uh, and which was fine with me because he was the star of the show and appropriately so so anyway we would have a gathering of it could be anywhere from 10 to 30 people it was probably about 20 that night and sitting right in front of preston was a, a man named david anderson he introduced himself as a physicist and he talked and he just listened to Preston. Uh, so then afterwards, in the anteroom, he approached me and said, told me who he was, and said that he had a time travel research center on Long Island. Now, I knew who he was. actually. It was Smithtown. It was Smithtown. Well, it was actually Hopog. Oh, it was Hopog. Oh, yeah, okay. it, it was as an industrial park in Hopog, which is right next to Smithtown. His P.O. box was in Smithtown. Right, that's and, where I got that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I already had an idea of who he was because he, he had subscribed to our newsletter on stationery that said Time Travel Research Center. And I thought this was some kid who was inventive and, and knew how to do stationery because mm -hmm. I knew how to do that. So it, it, it didn't impress me. It was just some fan. There were a lot of fans. So anyway, I saw immediately when he started talking that he was a real character, that he knew his science, he was brilliant. And, and he says, okay, we, what we can do is make time slow down or speed up the size of a soccer ball. It's about that big. So he says, uh, I'd like to get together with you sometime. Uh, so in about a week, in about a week, in about a, in about a week, uh, we uh, met for lunch. He took me out to lunch and he um, began to talk more about what he was doing. And he said he'd just gotten back from Romania a, 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 week, or, a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he did when he got back was Romania, whether it was on purpose or not, is he ended up contacting me, going to the meeting. That mm -hmm. was a synchronistic. Uh, there's disputes of how he got there, uh, but we won't go into that. The fact is he showed up and he connected to me right after going to Romania. And he no, said, it's interesting. 1999, I was right near there. I was living in Wontaw, right next to Belmore. And uh, yeah, I was you, getting you, far, you, you would have been there if you knew about the movie. I knew, I know. I, I would love that. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, because that's just one town over. So anyway, yeah. uh, David said that he had um, this, this research center and that it was funded by the medical profession are people investors in the medical industry because they said if we can slow down the rate of organs decaying, this is a, a gold mine, not only a gold mine financially, but it will save lives. And that in he said he generated a lot of investment capital from that. It was very intelligent because I could see how he kept all of his different people separate from each other, all of the technicians and people. He said he had a, a center in Long Island, he had a, a center in New Mexico, in Northwest New Mexico. Mm -hmm. which I believe is still there to this day. And he had another one in Romania. So when he, in Romania, when he went there, the, the way he ended up in Romania, he was in Germany uh, working on a project and he was called some 
this guy was going to this conference in Romania called Atlanticron, which meets in the southeast Romania in on the, on the on an island in the Danube every uh, July August. Mm -hmm. And he said to uh, David, they called him and said, look, I can't go. Maybe you can substitute for me. So David went to Romania and he met uh, the man who was the director of the camp and told him, look, at, I'm doing this time travel stuff. It's real and it's really real. And so this man, Serene Rapanovich, had uh, had started this camp the last year of communism, 1989, when communism was still in uh, in force in Romania. And he had gone to this island as a young boy. Uh, his father took him there fishing. Then as he got older, they began to have camps and they'd read science fiction and they'd camp out. Then as his influence in the government grew, he began to you know, bring in these houseboats uh, and, and people and tents. And now there's electricity and there's uh, you know cooks and food and big tents. Uh, the bathrooms are a little rugged. Right. But, uh, You've been there every it's still going on. You and uh, I've been there like nine or ten times. We'll be there this year. We'll yeah. be there this Jojo, year. Jojo's going with me. And David Anderson still goes every no, year. David Anderson stopped going in 2010. Oh. Uh, his oh. last year was 2009. But but where I'm going with this is, is even more interesting. So anyway, David says, I want to get you to Romania. He says, there's this lady you've got to meet her. Her name's Mihaila. Oh, she's all knows all about this metaphysics. You would like her. I really want you to meet her. Now, uh, th there was uh, because David had this technology, which was very, uh, I guess, what you call important. There was a lot of scrutiny about it. And he's very mysterious. He says, you'll see me sometimes, you know, I won't always answer your emails. I come and go. And he had a was he, he worked out, out of the government office. Was he working for the government at one point, Anderson? Well, or something? he was in the Air Force is where he developed this technology. Oh, right, but they right. didn't appreciate it. They didn't understand it until he says, OK, I'm going I'm going on my own. And then when he wanted to leave, they realized what they were giving up and they tried to get him to stay. But he Jay Rockefeller, who was his senator, came to his support and got him out of the military because he did what they were doing was illegal. So anyway, they still kept an eye on him. But in, in so anyway, in 2001, just after 9-11 had happened. Mm -hmm. uh, now, see, when you're in the Air Force like he was, they can always call you back on reserve. So he invited me to his apartment in Kings Park, Long Island, in November of 2001. And he said, I want to talk to you about two things. He says he, he had dinner for me and he says, I have uh two things one is i want to have a big event on time travel i want to i want to bring preston in i want to bring anybody in, and we have the whole east coast physics departments and he could bring all these people he says i want to do this event i want to do it with you i want to feature your work i want to feature other people's work but you and preston are going to be and he was asking me for support and information on how to do this as far as what sort of a agenda to have not he, he knew how to get all the logistics of all the physics people together uh, because of his connections in the government and whatnot. So he then says, once we talked about that, he says to me, we got talking about foreign stuff. And I said, the Chinese are very odd. I said, they were interested in my book in Frankfurt when I met them. And I didn't hear from them for years. And all of a sudden, five years later, they send me a, a season's holiday greeting card. I said, why would they send this five years after from now? It doesn't make any sense. Like they still remember me after five years. That's all I ever heard. He says, well, I have a Christmas card from China. And he takes me over to his mantle where the fireplace was. He has all these Christmas cards. He says, here, he shows me the Christmas card from China. It's from the president of China. It's from mm. the president of China. And all of these cards are from world leaders, even Qaddafi. And they're addressed to the Time Travel Research Center, uh, the Smithtown P.O. Box. And well, you know, Anderson told me that the next war will be a time travel war, if there is a war. I mean, so maybe well, governments have right. Preston Nichols was always told by his colleagues that, that were in the know of this sort of thing. Uh, he said that World War II was always a world war of time. He said it was uh, always a war of time. This is what Preston has, was told by his insiders that he never really mentioned. But in, in any case, 
uh, David said, there's something else I want to uh, talk to you about. And then he got very serious. He says, I've been told to go to Moscow uh, and I'm going to go to Moscow next week. And I've told to bring my passport and my air ticket, bring nothing else because I won't be able to keep it. So he says, if I don't come back in two weeks, they said, I'll only be there for two weeks. Uh, please make noise, as much noise as you can. So he takes off. Uh, and after two weeks, I hear nothing. I don't hear anything. Then after three weeks, I get a phone call from a friend of his. She, she says, uh, David told me to call you in three weeks if he doesn't communicate to me. Uh, and so I don't know who she is. I have a deja vu as if I've known her before. And then I find out. So then we meet, I talk and I'm talking to her and she, she has, she's a very close friend of his, but she has no idea he's involved in time travel. She's shocked when I tell her this stuff. He, mm. he knows her, you know, very well. And, and she doesn't know this. So, so then we start, I start communicating, making noise on the phone. And then he writes to us. Uh, he writes to three of us, I think her, me, and uh, the, his friend at the gym, the, uh, who was the president of the boxing or something in, in New York. But he writes to, uh, uh, writes to us and says, hey, I'm okay. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Don't worry, I'm okay. And I was able to trace the email from coming from Pakistan, something mm -hmm. he will not admit to this day. It was, came from a server in Pakistan. Now, that's where the army, the US military was gaining ground to go in and invade Afghanistan in Pakistan. They were, they were had a theater there. So I assume, now David was an expert in nuclear weapons. Uh, his time travel at that point had only been developed to the size of from a soccer ball to a basketball. He said he, he also told me that India had a time travel program as no, well. That, that, that comes later. Yes, okay, okay. True. That comes later. So anyway, he said he had developed the size of the, the time uh, travel field from a soccer ball to a basketball, the size of about a basketball. But it, he needed help in instrumentation. He said he was weak in instrumentation. He needed help. I said, well, Preston Nichols is an expert in instrumentation. I need to connect the two of you, uh, who he already knew. They already knew each other. And he, he says, oh, okay. And that never happened. And perhaps there's a very good reason that that didn't happen. However, because Preston's so chaotic that it might have involved more chaos. It's not that Preston wasn't uh, knowledgeable. It's just there's so much chaos, it could have been it could have been too much chaos to handle. But in any case, uh, that never happened. But uh, so he, he came back about two months later, called me up and thanked me for uh, doing what I did. And then he said, uh, about a month later, he said that he had troubles with his research center in Hopong. It was broken into twice. The government came and said, look, it, we will help you. We will help you with security. Uh, but you have to let us be partners with you. And that I always assumed that the government went in and did the break-ins in the first place. So in any case, he went out of the time travel business and he moved up to Rochester. And Rochester, he worked for a company called Bosch, a German company called Bosch. And he kind of disappeared. Uh, and he would he just disappeared. Now, later, I was able to find out that he was in India and he was developing security technology for Bosch. And I believe what he was doing, he was on a hiatus from his time travel so he could develop high uh, security bio uh, detection things like with the retina that could, so you could, he could keep his technology secure. This is what I believe he was doing at Bosch. To this day, I don't really know, but uh, he had invited me to Romania. I never went, uh, but then, in 2000, well, in 2003 or four, uh, the Montauk project, you know, David had been going to Romania practically every year. And then I got uh, an inquiry if, if from a publisher that asked if they could publish the Montauk project in Romania. And I said, well, of course, you're not gonna get much money from Romania, but I said, of course, uh, and he did it. Now, when he published, this book and it was actually he was an editor his editor his publisher told him to read the book is this good for publishing he says yes it is the editor did, or the publisher didn't want to do it so he went and formed his own publishing company it's now called Daksha Publishing in Romania and he is he has done David Childress he has done 
David Icke. He's done all these books and I, I helped put him on the map. He has been very successful in Romania as a publisher. And so it was the Mont when he published the Montauk Project, uh, a man in Romanian intelligence division, Department Zero, read the book and said, I have a story to tell. Would you like to hear it? And I would like to publish it. He says, yes. So this book is now published in English, known as Transylvania Sunrise. And I published it in English. But that book sat on my desk for four years. Once he published the Montauk Project, and I, okay, that book, yes. And that's about, yeah, about the Sphinx in Romania. That's the Romanian Sphinx. Sphinx in Romania. Oh, okay. So I said to him, so anyway, it sat on my desk for four years. And but in, after 2001, uh, or it was 2003, uh, yes, it was about 2003, David called me and said, I'd like to give you all my stuff from the Time Research Center that I that is free. It's mostly books and artwork, and there, there was some digital stuff in there that I said, okay. Uh, so we, I, Preston and I drove up to Rochester to meet him. And because he was going to give it all. He says, you need a big, big truck to take it in. So Preston had a van and we went up there together. And on Saturday before Easter, I said to, to David, uh, so we, we transferred all the stuff into Preston's van. And I said, oh, we'd like to take you out to dinner. Can I take you out to dinner? He says, no, I'm afraid I can't. I can talk to you for about 15 minutes. And we talked and he says, look, I'm going out of the time travel business. I won't be able to work with you for five years for five years, maybe four, but it's, I think it's going to be five years. I've got to go do something else. And so uh, at about, it took me four years to get around to reading the book, which mm -hmm. is a whole nother story in itself, which I won't go into. But when I did read the book, I said, okay, I started negotiating with Sorin Hormuz in, in Bucharest to publish the book. The negotiations took months. And when we finally agreed, a week after agreeing and signing the contract, David writes to me and says, how would you like to go to Romania, to the Atlanticron camp? He says, you can take another person. Uh, it's all expenses paid. You can come. This was 2008. And I said, oh, sure, sure. Uh, can I just ask you, is Romania key in time travel? Is something about the land there? And Anderson, Anderson himself hinted at he had time traveled personally. So and what were you that say? that'll probably um, segue into Chuck Lavina Cave and Peter's research. It will. It, it will. It will. But but I have to ask you, what did he say that he time travel? I've never heard him say that. No, he never actually said. I kind of asked him, and he goes, "It's in my interview. I have an interview with him. I'm going to repost on YouTube." It felt like he had somehow had an experience he hinted at it. he didn't come out and say it but i got the feeling he had an experience i think david's had a lot of weird experiences that he doesn't talk about because he fascinated with your you know i i love people who've collected i would say occult knowledge only because it's hidden it's unknown not traditionally occult maybe some of it is but you are a wealth of information your dedication to a deeper level of truth than what's on the surface is something that opens a lot opened a lot of people's minds yeah thank you and, and alan if you have the time to, to start reading that book the roswell Which, deception if you didn't give it away to somebody oh no no actually i actually have two copies here because yeah, someone if you left can read that it will it will really help opening the doors even more because it's just it's uh, i mean it took a lot to put that book together but it's it's like it's all succinct and and you can read it very fast it's mm -hmm. not like it doesn't require a lot of mental exercise it just changes right. your viewpoint. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I'm more interested in the time travel, the inner earth, the the um, of course, of course, teleportation, but, but, but the lucid dreaming. What's important about Douglas's work, though, is he's really facing up to some of the evil that's jammed our our minds as a collective race. And right. this is why, when people don't see the evil, they get filled with information that's just like the pollution we see on TV. And, and, go ahead. I see Douglas as a, a, he is one of the main conduits in our present time right now that is helping to facilitate the breaking down mm. of these old paradigms so that the, the truths that have been 
under the surface kind of brewing and having so much energetic influence on the density can now be purged and released so that we can have a cleaner ascension into our next chapter here. That's well said. So uh, Douglas is the source of the uh, Roswell Deception book. That's basically yep. his yep. information. All right. Well, that's that's interesting. And I'd love to listen to some more programs. So, Peter, how can people find you and find your books again and hey, learn I, more? I recommend uh, my books are on, on Amazon and Kindle. But uh, you can go to www.skybooksusa.com. And I would also invite people to go to the Time Travel Education Center.com. And you have what, 20 books out there? 27? Oh, I got over 20. I, I can't keep track of them. Probably 23, 24 yeah. uh, more to come. And they're so interesting, starting with the Montauk and then the Transylvanian stuff has gotten very, very popular. And people can subscribe to the Montauk Pulse, which is his seasonal oh. newsletter. And the, the most current one will be coming out soon. By the end of this month. Well, yes. thank you. I'm Alan Steinfeld with JoJo. Well, how, what, you. What's your website thank again? You. And AscensionTogether.org. And people can just find you. And, and, and Peter will be coming to oh, yes. Massachusetts on May 7th to Quantum Health and May Wellness. May 7th or May 8th? May 7th, Saturday, May 7th for... Oh, uh, boy, that's good. Qigong. May 7th is better than May 8th. Okay, I didn't know that. Wonderful. And that, so Saturday, May 7th for a Qigong workshop at Quantum Health and Wellness in Seekonk. Massachusetts. And yes. I'm sure you'll talk about a few other things as well. So... Peter, let's meet again soon. Um, sure. I'm curious I, I let me know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we'll when, keep the conversations going. But when you get back from Transylvania, can you do a little report? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. Report together. Yeah. 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 And I, maybe I'll go in 2023. You know, it's like that's. Uh, oh, and you can come. You can come this year if you want. I mean, it's like I, I, just, I just have to organize it. Uh, All right. I think I might be busy this year, but uh, next year, maybe. Um, thanks it's, again. It's, thank you, Peter. It's a big deal next year. Next year. It is. Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a real portal opening. Science Gate. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. Scientology was brought up today mm -hmm. in L. Ron Hubbard. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter has his book, L. Ron Hubbard, The Tao of Insanity, which oh. is also a phenomenal book. Really? I yes. didn't know about that, Peter. Well, it's, it's it, yeah, it's, it's. It, I, I didn't promote it heavily, but it, it was basically to uh, extricate myself from all of the the Scientology energy that I didn't want around me. Not not that that's not a uh, what do you call it a criticism of Scientology. It's a criticism of of what comes with it <laughs> or what came with it. But he um, wasn't a bit of a genius, he, or did and did it just become sort of distorted after him or by him? Well, let me say you're dealing with human beings so there's always human element of distortion but uh, he is a very complex character and i would say he was a genius and a genius means inspired by the genie or the jinn so he was he was complex he was intelligent he was controversial there's been a lot of fallout but that's a whole other conversation right, that's a whole other show but we can, we can do it we can do it if you want no, I, okay, after we do the time travel, if we go deeper into time travel. You can have me on every now and then, and I'll, I'm happy to, to go in any direction you want to go. And, and thank you, thank you both for uh, putting this together. Thank but, you, Peter. But thank you for your years of research and dedication, because without thank you, for, you... Thank you for your recognition and acknowledgement. Okay, yeah, I just want to say, without you, I think so much would have been missed in the true history of the planet. So, we're here, together. Okay, thank you so much. See you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all online on the chat. Uh, subscribe to this channel if you've been watching it on New Realities, youtube.com, New Realities. With Alan on the camel and my man Bashar Ten rabbis, a physicist, guru and a genius A woman who can teach you how to grow your penis I'm a romper, Jay-Z, channeling true love Oh, reality's boring, we're starting a new one Hearts popped open, Dalai Lama Rock your soul with my tantric chakras Now say Om with Deepak Chopra Natasha's so dope, who needs Oprah? Shaman Steve and his higher selves 
NSA can't stop my elves. Fairies landed, whole world's dusted. Hugging undercovers, butt naked in public. Governments bugging, but they're so corny. Back to the cramp, first all-born orgy. What? It's realities. Changing the news to realities. Gods interviews to realities. Where do I begin? A left mention? JJ Hurtock, keys of Enoch Open up doors, teleport to Montauk Navy ships disappear for battling Duncan Cameron starts time traveling Nassim Harriman, electron spin Word I am word selling channeling Paulo masculine feminine Marianne Williamson tears to triumph Jay goddesses lift weights with their vaginas Till there's a tantric holy glow Jody Sabrota's a UFO from Sedona to DC, Washington disclose ETs. David Ike is like Adam and Eve. Meet me down a caravan of dreams. For Alan Steinfeld's new realities, which she's what? It's new realities. Changing the news, new realities. God's interviews, new realities. Where do I begin? A left mention, new realities. Changing the news, new realities. Gods and reviews the realities. Where do I begin? <laughs>